How many of you are morning people? Alright, how many of you are nighttime people? Yeah. How many of you are neither? Yeah, there we go. Any of you that do both? Yeah, some of you are both. Well, I am a not morning person. I'm a nighttime person. And uh, I don't know, I've always sort of been nighttime. It's interesting. I had, uh, you know, back in the Midwest where I'm from, they actually still have school buses to pick the kids up. And uh, out in the country where I was, I'm messing with you there. And uh, out where I was, uh, the bus would actually fly by our house. It would go a direction called east. And I had about four minutes or so until the bus would come back and pick us up at our farmhouse. And uh, uh, I remember my mom, who my mom and my uh, sister, my sister-in-law, they're all here this morning, so welcome, great to have them, and um, you, your mom was here when we started out in November, and she decided, I'm going to come back, I like those people, so it's great to have you, mom, thanks, but I, my mom, she, uh, God bless you, mom, because uh, there were a lot of mornings when this non-morning person here couldn't get out of bed, and so she would yell up the stairs, Carrie, get up, and then I would... Carrie, get up! And about the third call was like, Carrie, the bus went east! Well, if the bus went east, then you were really in trouble because you had three or four minutes. You had to get up and get out to the road kind of deal, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because I ended up being a college and career pastor then, or maybe because working on the farm, I like to take the evening hours or whatever. But I am still a nighttime person, so I'd much rather be up late into the night and let me just sort of, you know, casually ease into the day. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was with uh, my high school son, Zach, this week doing some college visitation stuff at CBU, Cal Baptist, as well as he was up at APU. And it was interesting, at, the, at Cal Baptist, we were talking to the uh, counselor lady, and one of the things Zach asked was, he says, well, um, like, how do you do the roommate thing? Do you know, some of you probably know this because you're young, much, much younger than I, when I went to college, you just showed up, and who was in your room was who your roommates were. Well, they actually now have a dating kind of service. Did you know that? You actually go online and you fill out, and one of the things you fill out, you know, you know, messy room, are you a messy person, a clean person, you know, maybe the things you like and you're filling all this out. Are you a morning person or are you a night person? And so they match you with the same kind of person who has the vibe that you want. And I like that, you know, you sort of get online then, I guess, and sort of get to know them and sort of sign off on them, all that kind of stuff. I thought that was really interesting. Well, I want you to know that we're stepping into a little series here today. Uh, that's going to run us through Easter called Awaken Me. Now, that would make sense, right? If we're the Awakening Church, why do we name ourselves the Awakening Church? Uh, Awake my soul and sing. There's a lot of reasons why we've captured that name, the Awakening Church. But it is my desire for you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual development or spiritual interest in life, that you would be awakened. Awaken me. What do I need to be awakened to, you might say? Well, today I want to talk about being awakened to the Christ life. And what does that mean to be awakened to the Christ life? Now, one of the verses that are, is used in Scripture concerning this phrase, awaken, is found in Ephesians 5. And it says this in Ephesians 5, 14. Wake up, O sleeper, the bus went east. Oh, no. Uh, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. 
and Christ will shine on you. Now, right before this, the Apostle Paul says, that is why it is written, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, you will not find this verse anywhere else in the Scriptures, including the Old Testament. They're not quite sure why Paul said it is written. Maybe it was in a hymn. Maybe they had a song like we just sang, you know, the awakening song, right? But there was this exhortation that you and I would come alive in our spirit to the life of Christ. And this verse was not written to those who were not followers of Jesus Christ. Ephesians was written to those who were. Now, you're the 9 o'clock crowd. When I get to the 10.30 crowd, those will probably be the more the non-morning people. So you like to get up, most likely, get up and get at it. Well, I trust that that is true of your life, not just in a physical sense, being here, but in a spiritual sense. Because God has called us to be alive people and not just mope a dope and go through a daze. Now, have you had those times when you've gotten, you've gotten up in the morning and you're not quite sure where you're at? Maybe you travel a lot. Maybe you're just a really hard sleeper and you're going like, okay, what's going on? What's, what happened? What happened? Right? Well, I wish that I could do that to everybody in the world. Because there's this sense sometimes where people are like in a daze or they feel like they're maybe dead and you're like, Please understand that there is more to life than what you are currently experiencing. There is more to life even as a believer than what we are currently experiencing because in Jesus Christ, becoming awake to the Christ life, we have not only this life but eternity to grow deeper and wider and richer in our love for knowing who Christ is and who He is living within us. So awaken me. Awaken me. Do not walk around in a stupor, half-eyed open. Ask Jesus. This month, ask Jesus. His presence is here, and Chris prayed about His presence being here. Ask Jesus to awaken you spiritually in some ways you have never been awakened before. Scripture says you have not because you ask not. I want to be fully alive in Christ. Now we're going to be taking a little bit of a turn towards some scriptures here in a second. But it's interesting as I look at the life of Jesus dealing with the people he had to deal with because he had to continually get them to focus away from religion and focus on the relationship of what it meant to have life in him. And his main obstacle on the religious side were the Pharisees, the religious elite, people who thought they knew what God was about. In fact, they'd stacked up rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. You follow these rules, and then you will be somebody God is pleased with. Jesus comes to this earth. He steps into the very religious, legalistic environment, and he says, guys, you're just killing people. You ever been killed by religion? You ever been killed by a stack of do's and don'ts that you have to live up to to make yourself feel right? Well, Jesus looked around and he says, you guys, stop this. You're just killing them. You're killing them. Look at their dead. 
They don't have any life. And so they were dutifully going about and doing all the right things. At least they tried and staying away from the wrong things. Now, there's disciplines in life. There are sins to stay clear from for your freedom and disciplines that will lead you into other deeper depths of uh, uh, transparency and love for Christ. But religion is not what Jesus came to establish. He came to give life and to give it abundantly. And so he walks into this crowd of religious people and he says, you're killing them. And they're like, what do you mean? Look how righteous we are. We got all the garbs. We got all the roots. He says, no, you're killing them. And they did not like the direction he began to move with his, um, not only his speaking, but with his actions. Because he began to care for those that they had put away as outcasts. He began to heal and touch people that they felt were unclean. He began to do things on Sundays, on the Sabbath, which was Saturday back then, that they thought, well, you're not supposed to do those kinds of things. And he quickly got on their wrong side. That's why they ended up pushing him to the cross and ended up killing him, right? And we head towards the Passion Week uh, in just another week. But Jesus tried again and again and again to get them to wake up because not only were they killing other people, they themselves were dead. And I love this little passage in John 5 where he's interacting with them and he says this, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says, you got your, get your nose in a book. You know it all. You're trying to live. But look, lift your head up. You're searching the Scriptures because you think it's in here that you have life. And the Word of God is life. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's like wiring an old house. You never know when you're going to get shocked. The voice of God speaks to you from your Word. But if you end up getting legalistic with just knowing the Bible, and that's what it is, that's not what the Bible's for. This book is for the purpose of pointing you to the life in Jesus Christ. And so he says, you search the Scriptures, referring to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, because you think them, in them you have eternal life, but yet you refuse to come to me. Now, I know you're not supposed to do this with Scripture, but I'd like to rework that verse just a little bit and put a blank in there this morning. You diligently blank because you think that by them or doing this, you possess eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What would you put in the blank in your life? What have you been diligently pursuing or seeking, thinking that in that you would be able to have an eternal full life? Eternal means not just eternal chronologically. It means a full life. What have you been, what have you been going after? And you've been asleep, not realizing that it's Jesus, the Christ life, that will bring that fulfillment. I like what Ann Graham Lotz says. Ann Graham Lotz is uh, Billy Graham's, you know who Billy Graham is, it's his sister. She says this, All those who look to draw their satisfaction from the wells of the world, pleasure, popularity, position, possession, politics, power, prestige, finances, 
family, friends, fame, fortune, career, children, church, clubs, sports, sex, success, recognition, reputation, religion, education, entertainment, exercise, honors, health, hobbies, will soon be thirsty again. I don't know about you, but I think she covered the whole list. What do you think? (laughs) I'll leave that up there a second. I mean, there's a lot of things. How much of your life and my life this very week has been consumed with diligently pursuing these things, thinking that these things will bring us eternal life? In our world today, I like how the mentor of mine once referred to him, there are a lot of happy pagans. Do not doubt that are not happy pagans. And pagan is not a mean word. Pagan just means someone who's not seeking and following God. And there is happiness to be found in that. God's a good and benevolent God. There's a lot of things to pursue and to seek. But here's the problem with a happy pagan. A happy pagan thinks that all the things of this world and the pursuits of success that you can find here is what ultimate life is all about. Not realizing that there is a transcendent world that they need to be consumed with beyond this temporal world, and in that world, they will find great fulfillment in life beyond what they can imagine. Some of the most sophisticated thinkers in our world today, they can be scientists, mathematicians, in medicine, engineers, computers, they have made a great contribution to the world, but they have forgotten something most significant. And that is, it's not what we can get out of just this life. It's what all of life, eternally and spiritually, there is that one finds meaning and fulfillment. And so, do not doubt that those who pursue some of those things don't have great lives. But, could it be that temporal pursuits ignore the transcendent pursuits and that there is something far, far greater? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. You diligently search all these things, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal full living. Some of you are old enough to remember this event that happened back in the 1960s. John Lennon of the Beatles. John Lennon of the Beatles said something quite controversial that sparked a lot of problems in contemporary culture at that time. He said this, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right and will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus is all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. I mean, people said, oh my goodness, John Lennon Beatles, he said that they're, they're greater than Jesus himself. In fact, there were burning parties even in the South with Beatle records and stuff. I mean, this was big time news. It was interesting, uh, an interview a, a little bit later on, a couple of years, it was like, well, exactly what was going on in John Lennon's life? 
Well, was he saying that they were more important than Jesus or that the screaming crowds of people that were flocking after them thought that they were more important than Jesus? End up apologizing uh, concerning some of the misinterpretation of that. He himself said he was a big fan of Jesus. He sort of referenced that here in the last part of that quote. And he ended up uh, withdrawing from some of his public life sometimes to watch Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and Pat Robertson and his friend Bob Dylan. Some of you remember Bob Dylan. He ended up making a faith commitment to Christ seemingly. And so he had some influence there and he began to walk a road of faith. But then uh, Yoko pulled him away from that in an isolated time in Tokyo and he went into New Age movement, some other kinds of things. And so he died a very questionable death when he was killed in 1980. But you never know. You never know. You leave it in the hands of God. But I'm sure you would agree with me that you can't get more, much more fame and popularity and success than what John Lennon and the Beatles had going. But yet there was still a hole in his life. He was seeking for something more than what he had. What about you? What do you fill in the blank in with this morning? What do you need to be awakened to? I want to encourage you to be awakened to the life of Jesus Christ Himself. I'm going to have you turn in your scriptures to another encounter that Jesus had. This is found in John 10. And this encounter surrounds a verse that's really been um, the theme verse of my life. And uh, this verse is plucked in the middle of an exhortation that we usually don't give attention to. And I want to draw our attention to it. In John 10, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He has just healed a blind man. He has just gotten in trouble again with the religious heat, the elite. And they were like, why are you doing this? This man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. And the guy who was healed says, I don't know whether a sinner or not. The guy healed me. And he became a worshiper and a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus, he steps into this and he says this. Actually, we'll begin with verse 41 of John 9 because there is no transition. Sometimes that happens in Scripture. They put a chapter change and there is no need to have a transition because there was none. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So he has healed and freed this person, right? I tell you the truth. Now remember, he's got the Pharisees. He's got the religious crowd around him. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls for his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. All right, hang with me on this. Jesus begins talking about shepherd and sheep and like, what's going on with that? Well, that's a culture in which he lived, right? If you looked out the door, you would see shepherds on the hills and they were taking care of sheep. All right, so it was a modern day vocation. And a shepherd was different than a sheep herder today. A sheep herder is sort of a low person on the, the employment ladder maybe, but a shepherd was a, seen as a highly valuable person during that time. And what they would do many times in the evening, there would get maybe five or six um, shepherds that had a flock of sheep and they would corral them and place them in an environment, in a, in a room sometimes or in a stable area for the evening. 
And Jesus is saying that he has people who follow him. He has his own sheep, sheep who hear his voice. And so a shepherd would show up at the door and instead of being a thief, one who would climb in through the window or around about the back way and try to steal some sheep or whatever, he says, I'm a shepherd and the people who follow me, the people who are looking to me for life, they know my voice. And can you, can you imagine? It would be sort of cool. The shepherd shows up at the door and they just speak. Hey, come on, let's go, let's go. Like some of us with our dogs, right? They know our voice. And all of a sudden you'd have a bunch of sheep just sort of, you know, make their way through that crowd of larger sheep and start following that particular shepherd. And another shepherd would show up and, and he would say some things and some more sheep would start to follow him. And before you know it, you know, all five or six group of sheep have uh, dispersed with their appropriate shepherd. And Jesus is coming saying to them, in this world of all the people, I am a good shepherd and the people who want life in me, they follow my voice. And so he's given this analogy. It's like, hey, you think that blind guy is not somebody to be touched, but I'm telling you, he was one of my sheep, and now he's following me. But you, the religious elite, you think you're maybe part of God's flock, but you're not following me. In fact, he's referring here to them being the thieves and the robbers because they are stealing life from the very people God came to give life to. And so then he changes his analogy a little bit in verse 7. Battery issue there. There we go. I can just yell loud. Oh, some little wire. There's something. You got it. All right. That was really bothering you. I can tell, right? Hey, the sound person know that there's a problem going on. Yes, he does. He was on it. Thank you, Fred. All right. He goes through this other analogy, and sometimes when they were out on the hillside, they would gather their sheep for a break in the afternoon, right? And so they would corral them maybe where there were some bushes and some other kinds of, you know, apparatus that would keep them tucked in. And then the shepherd himself would lay down in the area that would be the gateway. He would become the door. And in that, he was protecting his sheep. Now, one of the reasons I believe Jesus is giving this shepherd analogy, tying himself into it, is not just because that was a modern-day vocation then. I believe Jesus is a lover of our soul. And Jesus wants you to know this morning that he cares for you. He will feed you. He will protect you. He will guide you. He will not discard you. And the question is, are you a part of his flock? Have you found life in him? And then he says, my favorite verse. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Oh, wait, 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 wait a second. Did he just say that? Did he just say that he came that we may have life or he came to ruin my fun and put me into a bunch of religious rules? He said, I've come that you may have life. And this is transcendent life. 
Yes, life in this temporal world, but life beyond this world and life in the supernatural that's much deeper than all that's going on around us. I have come, you my sheep who know my voice and who I lay my life down for. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now let's kick back to the John 5 passage. You diligently search the scriptures. You diligently search blank. Because you think in all these things that you may have life. But yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you want your soul awakened, I encourage you to awaken your soul to the person, to the shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ who lays his life down for you that you may live. Are you a part of his flock? Are you a part of his flock? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, it says in verse 11. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired, a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But that's not Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, referring to non-Jews. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves them is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. What are you saying, Jesus? You can lay down your life and you can take up your life. Friends, any one of us in here could lay down our life right now as a sacrifice for helping someone else. Those who serve the military, many people have given their life. You could take your own life. All of us as human beings have the ability to lay our life down. That wasn't the controversy. The controversy he spoke was he said, I lay my life down and I can pick my life back up. This guy's a lunatic. Nobody can raise themselves from the dead. But he began speaking these things and the opposition grew stronger and stronger. And it says this in verse 19. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is a demon-possessed and raving mad person. Why listen to him? Friends, that's a harsh, harsh accusation. But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon, demon open the eyes of the blind? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe Jesus Christ is who He said He is? Do you believe that He desires to be your shepherd? To be the one who gives you life and life abundantly? Or do you think He's a raving madman? You see, the reality is, when you study the life of Jesus and everything that He said, you can't say that Jesus is just sort of a nice guy. In fact, the John Lennon quote sort of alludes to that. I, I sort of like Jesus, but it's his followers. And many times people don't come to know Jesus because we who are his followers keep them distracted by how we live. That is true. But friends, 
you cannot take Jesus as just a nice prophetic dude. Jesus was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. You have to decide who he is. And when you decide who he is, it'll give indication if you're part of his flock or not. Scripture says he desires that all would be saved and come to him. Do you want to have life? Then don't be searching in it in all these other dimensions. Search, and search for it in Jesus himself. I want to list four things that the life of Christ brings us. And sometime in the future, we'll be able to unpackage each and every one of these. But I want to say this. For us as a body, the awakening church, we want to be fully alive in Christ and to His mission. And for the first part, to become fully alive in Christ, this is what you need to do. You need to embrace the person of Jesus the shepherd of Jesus as your redeeming Savior. Redeeming means He's bought you with a price. We're going to be looking at that as we look at what He did on the cross and then through the resurrection, laying His life down, picking His life back up. He redeemed you. He bought you. There is no one here this morning who is outside of God's ability to touch and to forgive and to save. He's a redeeming Savior. Second is sort of a complicated couple words I've put together. He is an abiding sanctifier. And maybe the better word is the word indwelling. You see this life of Jesus, when he ascended to the Father after the resurrection, he then sent his spirit to possess us. The reason we have life in him is because we invite his life to dwell in us. And that indwelling life, is an abiding, a rich abiding that no other religion of the world can even come close to touching. He is your shepherd. And sanctifier means he's cleaning your life up. He's changing you from the inside out. Because he knows that we're all dirty. But you can't wash the inside by rubbing a cloth on the outside. So he's an abiding sanctifier. He's also a transforming healer. Because once he comes into our life, he begins to realize there's places in our life that are broken, really bad. Some all the way back to when we were young, little children. And he begins to bring about healing. Emotional healing, and he can bring about even physical healing in our broken bodies. We will all one day die outside of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, even when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus still died. But we live in these fallen, broken bodies and there is a transforming power that comes from Jesus as the divine, transforming healer in our life. And then Jesus, we're going to embrace Him as our coming King. He promised He would return. And as our coming King, we long with great expectation for that future day when He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you this morning no matter where you're at. No matter how much you've been sleeping through life. Whether as a believer or someone who's checking church out for the first time this morning. The shepherd wants you to have life in him. 
The adversary and all the other beckonings of life, they're like a thief that come to seek to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask Melissa to come with Dan and sing a song. It's just a simple reflection song. And as they come, I want you I want you to seriously ask yourself the question. You're running fast. You're running hard. A lot of responsibilities. A lot of good things may be going on in your life. Maybe some tough things too. But how are you trying to fill in that blank in your life today? You search the blank. You pursue the blank because you think that in that you have eternal life. And yet you refuse to come to me. The statement that's there ahead of the redeeming Savior, the abiding sanctifier, transforming healer, and coming king is the phrase embracing the person of Jesus as those things. I use the word embracing because I think in terms of this relationship with Jesus as an intimate kind of experience, and maybe that's awkward for you, especially some of you men who use the word intimate when it comes to Jesus. But God broke me when I was younger. And I'm so grateful for some of the things He did in my life where He moved me past the religion and the church going and even all the cool youth group stuff. And He broke me and brought me to a place where I could embrace Him and know Him intimately as my Lord and my Savior, as my shepherd. And I pray, God, all the days of my life, I desire to be one of your sheep and follow you because you have the words of eternal life. I have come that you may have life, carry, and have it to the full. And I was, I was just naive enough to take him up on that and say, yeah, that's what I want. But friends, for you to have that life, you have to lay down it all. And you have to come and embrace Jesus, the person of Jesus. Awaken your soul to the Christ life within you. And as they sing, I want you to reflect on what you're filling in that blank. And if you've never filled in that blank with the person of Jesus Christ before, I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to pray and to give your life to the good shepherd who loves you. It doesn't matter what baggage you bring in today, what trajectory you're on, This is a moment in time. Will you receive Jesus Christ as your good shepherd, as your Lord, and as your Savior? For Him to be your redeeming Savior, your abiding sanctifier, your transforming healer, and your anticipated coming King.
Listen to these intimate words of this song, and afterwards we will pray. And in that prayer, you can fill in the blank with Jesus Christ.